welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day episode. I am Ben Godar. Uh, with me usually would be my good friend Ben Humphrey, but unfortunately he has been traded to uh, Toronto for uh, a, a right-handed, two right-handed pitchers, actually uh, one guy from the Netherlands. Uh, no, actually, I'm just kidding. Uh, ben is here, uh, and we've got some trades to talk about, Ben, don't we? Oh, do we? And it really worked out well uh, for our listeners at home. We we don't like to tell you how the sausage was made, but on on the text yeah. message thread, we were starting to get a little worried. Like, is anything going to happen? <laughs> and, and and then uh, Mosellock had like a Godfather scene where you know he made all the trades at once at the end of the game today. Well, I'd like to think the folks in the front office were like, you know, you know, Cardinals off day, their recording cycle's got to be coming up here. We got to give those folks some content. So let's uh, let's close a couple of these deals so they have something to talk about. And so, well, we, yeah, they we, all wanted to hear what we had to say about it. Right. Absolutely. So to our good friend, Michael Gersh, we'd like to say thank you. Thank you for getting these <laughs> deals deals done for us. Uh, so uh, so I think we're going to jump right into it. You know, we usually talk start off uh, talking about what have we learned, but I think we all learned the same thing. This afternoon, the Cardinals made uh, two pretty major deals. Uh, they made a, a deal with Texas. The uh, Cardinals traded uh, Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton to the Texas Rangers for right-hand pitcher Takoa Roby, infielder Thomas uh, Sagesi. By the way, I'm going to pronounce a bunch of these names wrong because I'm just hearing a lot of these for the first time. Uh, and left-hand pitcher John King. Uh, they also traded uh, Jordan Hicks, old friend Jordan Hicks, uh, to Toronto uh, for right-hand pitcher Sam Robersa, I believe I was told it was pronounced, uh, the, the aforementioned uh, pitcher from the Netherlands, and uh, Adam uh, uh, Klofen, Klofenstein, um, whose ancestors uh, uh, briefly but notably uh, occupied the Netherlands, uh, Ben. Um, what and, about and killed Dracula uh, <laughs> while they were there. Uh, so... Uh, so Ben, we've got two specific deals. We've also just, of course, got the fact that uh, you know deals are in motion, and obviously, all of these deals um, come under the umbrella of you know uh, unloading guys who uh, were going to be free agents at the end of the season. And for the most part, uh, uh, Segesi is an infielder, but otherwise, this was all about acquiring pitching. So really, um, you know, they're they're out there doing what they pretty much told us they were going to be doing with these deals. So that's kind of the overall context of these trades and the specifics of these two deals. Um, well, let's, let's dive in, Ben. What were some of your initial thoughts? Uh, overall, I think maybe the, the backdrop uh, of what the Cardinals need uh, pitching, pitching, pitching is what Mosellock famously now said in that uh, you know, media availability, kind of impromptu media availability that he did. And so obviously that has been the focus, but, you know, he's talked about, you know, we're going to compete in 2024. I don't know how many of the players that they acquired today are, are, you know, like stone cold locks for the 2024 roster. Um, and so what's what's interesting to me is I feel like these moves are are geared towards 2024, yeah. but they're geared towards 2024 by make by creating more depth uh, in the high minors for pitching. And so, uh, 
you know, I think yeah. that the off season has become perhaps even more important and it's not at all surprising. Also, I should say that, uh, they didn't get major league ready starting pitching, right. you know, at the trade deadline for rental players. That's not at all yeah. surprising. I'm not saying it as a critique. Yeah. I'm telling, I, I'm saying that for like the first half or so of Mosellock's tenure, he had a lot of success of defining replacement player upward, especially when it came to pitching. Mm-hmm. So when they had injuries, they could dip into the system and they would have good yeah. pitchers who were better than replacement level for the league. Mm-hmm. And and that was a key to their success. And I feel like they really took a, a pretty good step toward creating that type of depth in the system today. What do you think? Yeah, no, I have a very similar um, take on it to you. Um, you know, uh, they really, um, you know, needed, uh, you know, in terms of getting uh, pitching, uh, like you said, they they were not going to acquire a, a guy who was going to be a lock for their starting pitching next year because if you're talking about, um, you know, you'd have to be talking about like a you know top two type player in somebody's you know system, and uh, you know last week we went through an exercise where we looked at um, you know guys in similar deals um, over these last uh, couple years, and rental players don't get those kind of uh, you know those kind of returns, so they were never going to get those kind of guys. Um, what I see here, you know, these are guys who are in double A, two of whom are going to come up and pitch in triple A the rest of the season. And what I think is interesting is, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that really going into next season, you, you know, you're going to have Michaelis and I think, you know, Matt's is, is, you know, as much as he's been, uh, you know, he they was moved to the bullpen somewhat this year, they're going to pencil him into the rotation, you know, next year, he's going to have to pitch his way out of the rotation again, I think. So, you know, you probably have Michaelis and Matt's, but that's it. You know, you've got all of those other rotation spots open, something that, uh, Mozelic has been pretty frank about is they really painted themselves into a corner this year by signing all of these deals with these, um, you know, uh, you know, free agent deals with bad starting pitchers. So they locked all these positions in. And then when they felt like, gosh, we need more pitching, it was difficult in the market because, basically the guys they were going after kind of knew there were not spots available. Now, of course, they always could have gone big. They always, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they could have solved that, but that was a solvable problem for them. But what I see here is I see a number of pitchers who I think they can legitimately come into spring training with and say, you know, these are guys who can compete for, you know, one or two spots, you know, um, you know, in the rotation, along with, you know, possibly some guys that are already in the system, as well as possibly some other guys. And, and really that that's just structurally, that's a better way to have a pitching staff, you know, set up. And, and I think, of course, in the offseason, we have to expect they're going to go out and make, uh, you know, a significant signing. I mean, they need that if they're really serious about competing next year. So we have to expect there's going to be, you know, whether it's through trade or free agency, you know, they, they, there's uh, there's more acquisitions come guys that are actual like, oh, yeah, we know this guy is going to be in the rotation next year. But you have to expect that there's a slot or two that are basically available to some of these players who they have the flexibility with who, yeah, they can be in the major league rotation or they can move them to the bullpen or they can move them down to AAA. They've got that kind of flexibility and they didn't have that this year. Um, And so I see guys here who, you know, uh, 
yeah, absolutely. I don't think they're, you know, anyone who's like guaranteed to be in the rotation, but who certainly could assert themselves and, and really each of whom seem to have uh, some kind of upside where it's like, oh yeah, I can see a version of them where they do that. Um, so yeah, overall, I'd say it looks, looks pretty promising in that regard. Right. I don't see any Jake Woodfords here, you know, like it's, and that was maybe a cheap shot, but it's a, a a situation where there are guys where you can see a version of them that's a viable major league starting pitcher, and they're they're not going to be, and they they might ride the Memphis shuttle, but they're also younger, and and there's yeah. more upside there, and so it it certainly is, uh, I think, a, a series of heartening developments, uh, but. But nonetheless, um, I I thought it was really funny. Uh, Robert, I, I was just going through, and Kylie McDaniel, uh, who follows prospects, writes about prospects, very good. I've I've always enjoyed him, and you know he had this uh, tweet out, and you know he's like uh, he's normally ninety one to 94 with the fastball has an above average slider solid changeup, and cutter with good feel only 21 and is in uh double a looks like a back end starting pitcher signed out of netherlands has improved quickly and other than being age 21 or maybe while being age 21 like uh it, it really struck me like that description is like of so many college age starters that the Cardinals get right. Yeah. But what they've done here is they have traded for that profile in the form of a 21 year old in double a. And that's, that that is a step up from what they have been doing. And, and he was in, uh, you know, he, he sat pretty high and looked pretty good uh, uh, in the, in the futures game um, a few weeks ago. Uh, But when I was reading about that profile, it just really struck me that like, you know, this is kind of like that high floor college pitcher, the Cardinals draft. Mm-hmm. But instead yeah. of being in a ball at age 21 or 22, he's ready for triple A. You, you, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, and yeah. so it's kind of that type of trajectory. It's just a different, uh, a different type of prospect than what has become standard for the Cardinal system because of where they draft and how they draft. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I mean, just, and again, you know, to be frank, I, you know, and I think I'll speak for Ben here, but I'll definitely speak for myself, not prospect experts, certainly not prospect experts in other team systems. So, you know, I've really been reading about these guys more or less since these trades have happened. So, but, uh, you know, you know, Roberts uh, was the one guy who I read about and was like, oh yeah, that sounds like a Cardinals pitcher. <laughs> you yes, know, it really yes. sounded like yes. their kind of standard <laughs> profile, but it was interesting because the others, it sounded, it did sound more aspirational to what they've talked about going after. And, you know, Roby in particular sounded more like yes. that kind of stuff guy that they've been wanting to go after. You know, he's, he's posted that above 25% K rate and 
in, in double A. And you, you read a lot of kind of scouting reports on him where people just, you know, really impressed with just various aspects of his stuff, really felt like there was, you know, something, you know, there. And and Klaffenstein as well was really interesting. You know, he was a guy who certain like kind of prospect ranking list ne- didn't necessarily have him very high. He's had a huge jump in his his strikeout rate this year. And I saw certain um, you know, folks who really thought, you know, he was maybe even the centerpiece of that deal. Um, you know, he's had uh, um, he's up to a 28% strikeout rate in double A. And I mentioned both of those things because keep in mind the, the major league average strikeout rate for a starting pitcher is 22%. And the Cardinals uh, have uh, only, uh, Stephen Matz is their only starter who even sits at 22%. Everyone else is well, well under that. Um, they are actually uh, third from the bottom in the majors in strikeout rate. Um, below them uh, is only the uh, Kansas City Royals, who are, you know, uh, perhaps going to set a record this year for being one of the, you know, worst teams in the history of baseball. And then only below them, the Colorado Rockies, who, of course, play in a, a ballpark where, you know, crazy ball rules are in place. So, the, you know, the Cardinals are just absolutely abysmal in, in strikeouts. And so, and obviously, uh, you know, tip, a guy's strikeout rate in the minor leagues, you're going to expect that to, you know, inch down as they, as they work their way up in the levels. But even so, um, those are better strikeout rates than you see from guys like McGreevy and Graceffo in the high minors as well. So it does look like, and again, using just using strikeout rate as a, you know, somewhat crude measure of stuff, it does look like, you know, they, they, you know, did go after some of the, some guys with that slightly different profile than what they've typically gone after in those two guys anyway. Seeing the car have a pitcher with a good slider who gets strikeouts, which the whole league's been doing for like five years. Yeah. Um, and it it's almost like, oh, hey, welcome to the party, pal. You know, yeah. like, uh, and so it, it is heartening to see that. And with Mosellock talking about how they were going to tweak how they assess pitching, I, I think this is very much reflective of that shift in what the Cardinals are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Re- reason to be optimistic anyway. So um, I don't have much else on these guys, Ben, unless you have anything else do you want to talk about maybe what we we hope to see going forward. And who knows what may even be kind of breaking in the news as folks are, are listening to this. Well, I, you know, I was looking at just, and I, it's the era of social media and I, I don't put too much stock in it, but I think, uh, you know, folks were maybe getting a little restless, you know, you saw players coming off the board, right? Like the Dodgers were making moves yeah, and it was kind of like, these are, you know, they, a shortstop in Rosario and a starting yeah. pitcher in Lynn and, you know, kind of. Yeah these are what the Cardinals should be doing. And I think that we have been pretty critical of the front office uh, when it merits. And I think it should be said that I, to me, I think it looks like they did a pretty good job of playing their hand and they didn't, they didn't wait too long. They didn't jump the gun too early before the market was kind of taking shape. And I think that they did overall a a pretty good job with what their stated goals were. And also I think that their stated goals were correct as well. Like, you know, people are talking about competence and those types of things. The Mm -hmm. the Cardinals front office knows what the problem is. Right. Like, yeah. And, and so it's not like the Rockies or something where it's just like, no one knows what's going on. 
and yeah. whether they even know what the problem is. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that they did um, a good job of, of playing their hand. And then, you know, Mosellock even just, or someone in the Cardinals organization even being like, oh, hey, we're talking about extensions with these guys. You know, like, so we might not even trade them because we like them. And so I thought that they did a good job overall of the way that they approached it and kind of striking when the iron was hot. And uh, it also, the timing coincided very well with this podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I certainly, yeah, certainly agree. Um, I mean, uh, you know, when you're looking at, you know, getting minor leaguers, I feel like there's a very, very short list of absolute cream of the crop minor leaguers that just everybody yep. knows are elite. Your Jordan Walker types that you can just you can basically just look at them and you're like, this is a freak. This person is just elite yep. tools across the board. And and there's a hand, only a handful of those players across the entire league. And um you're not going to get those kind of players with who they were trading. So once you're past those players, you're in this really enormous pool. And one thing that I think sometimes folks do is they get way too deep into the like pipeline rankings and these kind of things. And they're like, oh, did we get the number four guy or did we get the number nine guy or did we get this? And you can go way deep on those rankings. And it's really, you know, pretty much a guess. Right. Or it's it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's just there's so little to differentiate or to really confidently say, oh yeah, that number four guy is gonna, you know, be a major league regular, whereas the number 13 guy is gonna be a platoon player, whereas the number 19 guy, it's not nearly that that clear cut. So um, they were always gonna be trading into that just kind of, you know, pool of of guys where you know who knows and and that's um so we won't know exactly you know on this you know for a few years and so you know if they if if they a couple of these guys turn into major league pieces um you know this will have been incredible you know really if even one of these guys turns into a major league piece you know this will have been incredible you know and it's hard to say you don't necessarily know now but you know there's there's several guys that they picked up here all of whom certainly look like they have the potential to be major league pieces and again for three guys who were not going to be uh, with the organization at the end of the year in a season that they have already given up on you know seems solid and and as far as what they need to do i mean you know certainly flarity who's the other one that has just gone at the end of the year um, you know, apparently they even said, you know, his Tuesday start, he's scheduled to start Tuesday and they've said the Tuesday start is TBD. So I'm just assuming that is just, we haven't heard the news yet. It's not finalized yet, but that's, that's definitely going to happen. You know, I think DeYoung is extremely likely to be dealt, but you know, his situation is just a little more complex because yes, there's the buyout. Yes. There's also the option years. So whether another team, another team's level of interest in that, or even potentially the Cardinals level of interest in that, it's just not quite as straightforward as, you know, a guy's a free agent at the end of the year. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, in terms of what else we might see, I think it, a lot of it will come down to, you know, if they want to go big um, in terms of a return, you know, there are some guys they could attach. And I think they also just have certain positions where it would make sense for them to start clearing some space, basically in the middle infield and in the outfield. So there's guys like Edmund, you know, Burleson, Carlson. I think you could certainly see, uh, you, know, uh, you know, really Carlson or um 
uh, O'Neill, you know, potentially, you know, just, you know, some space needs to be cleared in these areas probably before next season. So whether at the trade deadline or in the off season, you know, if they can get value by attaching some of those players into a deal, wouldn't be surprised to see some of those names there, but they're not, you know, they're not like a Flaherty where it's like, if you don't get rid of them now, you don't get anything for them. So... Yeah, and it was interesting to me, Ben, and I don't know what you thought, but when it was, you know, the reports that have come out pretty much indicate that the Cardinals were looking at selling the the players that they traded away, plus Flaherty and Dylan Carlson. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was like they're not looking at, they aren't even really entertaining offers for players who have control beyond the end of the season, except for Dylan Carlson, who they really want to get rid of. Um, and so it, it, this has gone really in line with, with what those trades were. But what was interesting to me is the way that Mosaic framed what they were going for is we want to compete in 2024. We need pitching, pitching, pitching. And you have done a very good job of articulating how some of these pieces might look in terms of a 2024 competition, Mm -hmm. but there's no, I don't think they were likely to acquire a major league starting pitcher for 2024. Right. Um, you you know what I or a, a major league starting pitcher in twenty twenty three who's also going to be one in twenty twenty four under control. Mm-hmm. And so uh you know, when you look at what they have to deal or are willing to deal, um their this return is frankly better than I thought it was probably gonna be. Yeah. Um and we talked about that last episode. And so the the interesting thing to me is they've pretty much told teams we aren't interested in trading these other players at the trade deadline, but if they want like young cost controlled pitching, right. It's going to cost them. Yeah. Some of these players they're not talking about at the trade deadline now. Well, but I, you know, I always feel like we don't know who they are talking about or who they're not talking about. And, and so, you know, I think that, for the right deal, they would talk about some of these names, you know, and so, you know, they would, you know, they would consider uh, a Brendan Donovan or, you know, some of these guys who, who do have tremendous value, but if they could get, you know, a, an actual major league starting pitcher in return, which they know they need for next season, and they are, you know, clearing out some space at a position where, frankly, they know they do need to clear out some space. You know, I think those are things that it, it wouldn't shock me if if moves like that happened. And that kind of leads into, I think, one of the last things we just kind of wanted to hit on, you know, trade related wise, this Arenado situation that popped up this last week, right, where, you know, we had reports mostly kind of coming out of Los Angeles about, uh, you know, the, the Dodgers, uh, uh, you know, basically leaks from somewhere in the Dodgers organization saying that, hey, the Dodgers are talking to the Cardinals about Nolan Arenado and uh, and then kind of radio silence on the Cardinals end, um, you know, for, uh, you know, a couple days to the point that Nolan Arenado um, ultimately spoke to the media and kind of, you know, you know, basically said, I, no one's talked to me about waiving my no trade clause. And then, uh, you know, a day or so later, you know, Mo kind of came out and says, well, we're not, you know, we're not trading him. You know, they, they 
you know, we listened, but it's not something that's moving forward. And, and I'll just, throw, I mean, I want to hear what you thought, Ben, but I'll just kind of throw my two cents in because, and I saw a lot of different opinions about this online. And I know some people really felt uh, harshly towards the front office in terms of how they, they handled that. And look, I will be the first to say, I don't think soft skills are necessarily something that Mo in this front office have excelled at um, and don't typically excel at. And, and I would, I would kind of group this in there as well. I think there's probably ways this could have been handled better. You know, that said, I think, you know, consistently they, you know, like anytime you see Mo asked, you know, who's off the table, what, what's his answer? Nobody, right? <laughs> because, you know, which is the right answer, which is exactly yeah, the right answer, yeah. because for for the right deal, you would consider, any, you know, you would consider anybody, which is exactly, you know, which is which is honest, frankly, and it's exactly the right answer. And, and you know, realistically, I mean, look, if someone was going to if someone like the Dodgers was going to come at you and, and throw you uh, an amazing package of, you know, high, high level, amazingly developed arms for your third baseman who you know frankly has no surplus value because you're paying him a salary that's at the level of his of his very high talent great player not saying he's not a great player but you're paying him a high salary that's commensurate with that and oh by the way your two top prospects that are already in the major leagues are both third basemen right (laughs) (laughs) and and also you have plenty of options you there's there's no universe where you should not at least take a phone call (laughs) to listen to that and also he's like the one of the greatest defensive third basemen in history uh but this year he's been below average so like you know there there's yeah right and he's like and he's a couple yeah. years past 30 and so you know you know yeah. and, and his contract and now his contract does kind of taper off towards the end so the, the value may not be terrible but still we know these you know these long-term contracts are less valuable towards the end it, yeah it, you know it I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like listening on on a deal like that yeah like i mean we've all watched jordan walker play the outfield right like <laughs> I mean, it just, it really, it really feels like it's not happening, you know? And so like, where are you? And like over the next three to four years, who's, who's going to be better? I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's probably Walker. If, if I, maybe not if he's playing the outfield, because that really eats into his value as a player, but like, well, you know, I, so I mean, but, but I, I would I'm, say, yeah, I mean, I would still think Arenado's going to be better, but Arenado, who you're paying, you know, 30, 25, 20 million for, and then you're also getting, you know, some pitching for, that's where I think you really tip the scales. No, right. So you get pitchers back yeah. and then you also get payroll flexibility to get pitching. Yes. Right. And so like reading a lot of the St. Louis media establishment stuff on it, they were acting like this is insanity. And I was like, this seems like exactly what the front office should be doing. Like exactly. Yeah. And you know, if they, and, and who knows what a deal like that might've looked like or whatever, but it's not hard to look, to think of that type of deal as you've just described it and just kind of been like, Oh, we got these Dodgers pitchers from their system. And it's just like, oh, well, they're so much better at developing pitching than the Cardinals. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to imagine feeling pretty good about such a trade. Well, and I just, I have a hard time believing that there's, 
that hurt feelings are such a real thing as I think kind of fans and media make it out to be among these players. I think they understand the the business that they're in. You know what I mean? Particularly, uh, you know, someone yeah. like Nolan Arenado, who's, who's, you know, been around as long as he is, has negotiated like big time contracts like this, has been through a trade like I, th yeah. they've seen they've seen what happens that this is the world that they're in and they're highly highly paid you know as a result of it so like they get it they understand that they're commodities when they're you know they're up there playing and this is kind of what happens and it certainly bristles them and you'll see that when they're not you know kept in, in you know when they're not uh uh you know maybe um kept in the light or you know kind of what you know whatever uh so so you'll certainly see that in the moment but i just really don't think it's like it has the kind of like long-term effect that people kind of think it does i'll be honest i feel the same way about people always bring up uh arbitration hearings and people think yeah. that like guys carry like a uh, chip on their shoulder like three years later about arbitration hearings i can't believe that that's i, I just well, you know it's that that's and, the way it's structured that's the way their business works and to your point you know one of the fake rumor uh twitter accounts you know tweeted something out where oh the cardinals are doing this and it's because they don't like how Ryan Helsley has responded to his arbitration hearing. And then like Ryan Helsley quote tweets it and is like something like news to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. like what the, what are you even talking about? Like, yeah. And, and Helsley has been very forthcoming about like, yeah, that arbitration hearing sucked, but right. like, you know, clearly it's water under the bridge, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, I, I totally yeah, agree. Don't don't, don't many of us have jobs where you can like maybe uh, like request a salary increase or there's like a process for yeah. that. And like yeah. sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But like, I mean, I don't know. It's just like this is the grown up world, folks. Like, these, you know, like this is yeah. how things work. So anyway, um, I don't know. That's all I had to say kind of on the Arenado thing. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to. Oh, no, it was just kind of I was thinking about it juxtaposed with the Scherzer thing. So like, yeah. you know, Scherzer gives the interview and he's like, I, I need to have a conversation with the higher ups or the brass or whatever. Well, let's ask so, this by saying Scherzer's a maniac. Well, he's yeah, he's a lunatic. But um, but he's also like, I feel like he's a straight shooter who goes in and yes. has conversations with the higher ups and the higher ups have conversations with him. And yes, when you're paying someone what you're paying Scherzer, I understand that. Same thing with Arenado. But so, you know, the I, I think stltoday.com had a post, a blog post about it. And it was like, oh, they're, you know, whatever about the recruitment of Arenado. And I'm like, no, that's called tampering. <laughs> like the Dodgers <laughs> are not recruiting Nolan Arenado. That's called yeah. tampering. The yeah. media ran a rumor and, you know, yeah. like. Nolan Arenado's agent then said, no, like yeah. this has not happened. Uh, right. You know, it got shut down on every level. Yeah. And uh, Mosellock was kind of, I guess, late, but I was looking at it compared to the Scherzer thing. And I was like, after Scherzer got traded, I was like, oh, the Mets were further along with trading Max Scherzer at the time. He was like, well, I need to have a conversation with the higher ups and figure out what we're doing here. Yeah. You know, with the Rangers, that's a fairly complicated deal with the money and prospects and all that. And then they traded him and he waived everything yeah. and it was fine. And then Arenado's like, well, no one's approached me about waiving my no trade clause. And then, yeah. you know, Mosellock comes the next day and he's like, yeah, that's because we're not trading you. 
Like yeah. this is just all, you know, as uh, as my nine year old would say, this is some sussy goss uh, <laughs> out of L.A. Right? Like it's just it it nothing about it really passed the smell test other than clickbait. And I yeah. say that I say that as someone who used to deal in clickbait, you know, yeah. like that's what it was. And it just felt like everyone overreacted to it. Yeah. Well, so I was just looking back. I I, I tweeted on July 25th. I said, the last thing I'm going to do is read what a major league front office says its plans are on July 25th and believe it with my brain. And I was referring to a major league front officer. I remember something had just come out, but I'd basically apply that to anything you read then, whether it's, uh, you know, something, anything that's reported at that point and whether it's leaked from a, uh, you know, an agent or just anything, because, you know, it's all just kind of pieces then it's all just going to change i mean how much back and forth was there about the you know the the meeting with jordan hicks and the possible extension and there was like an entire well, no, news cycle about it was about right? i think it was like, wasn't it there was, was, there was like an yeah. entire news cycle about like oh my gosh the cardinals are going to do an extension with jordan hicks no there was just there was there was probably one meeting that did happen about it as part of the overall due diligence and the fact that this trade was deeply probably basically done at that point and they're just like like, you know, t- you know, touching every base as they go along on that, or maybe Hicks's team, like asked them to like consider something like that. You don't even know, but like, it's just, you know, it's just like, why even, why even ride this roller coaster, like of, of, you know, kind of reporting, just, you know, wait till the actual, you know, thing happens and um, move on. That's how I choose to live my life, Ben. Um, shall we uh shall we shall we move on we do have some some questions this week shall we uh, shall we get into those yes i think we should all righty so well our our first couple questions believe it or not are about the trade deadline uh so first one comes from uh jason who asks he says i'll be at the august 6th game what will our five-man rotation look like on that day and what about the everyday lineup ben what do you want to I'll take a look at swing at that. Well, the the everyday lineup I think is going to be pretty close to w- what it is now. And uh, I don't know if we said the date, but we're recording this on July thirtieth, so we're a little bit in advance of the trade deadline. But I would be surprised if they trade like a regular everyday position player at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rotation, I think Matthew Libertor probably has a p- promotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, there could perhaps be another promotion in the offing, depending on what happens with Jack Flaherty. So I think the rotation will look a little bit different um, for sure. And uh, But the lineup, and you can't really fault them for keeping like one of the, I don't know, maybe five or six best lineups in baseball together. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that'll be largely the same. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think so on the rotation side, you know, Montgomery, we know is gone. Flaherty, we have to assume is gone by then. So, 
you know, there will be two warm bodies in those two slots. Um, you mentioned Libertor and yeah, I don't know, Woodford, you know, somebody, you know, maybe Zach Thompson, I don't know, like who, you know, who knows one of those guys, you know, there's some talk like, yeah, maybe like a Graceffa or a McGreevy, they might give a shot to at some point this season, but I wouldn't necessarily hold your breath on that. I think, you know, they're just, they're, they're it's really just about innings at this point. They're just going to put somebody out there, you know? Um, yep. The only thing on the, the only thing I think that could possibly be interesting for the uh for the questioner is you know uh today i believe it was today mo also when asked if uh mason win you know would be you know see the majors in 2023 said you know something the effect of you know he thought there was a shot you know chance of that or you know so, you know thought that could happen or you know he i forget his exact wording but he certainly said that you know that that's there was possibility there basically and um if DeYoung is traded, I think, you know, we that could we could see that be the the impetus for that move happening. And so, you know, if that happens, you may see Mason win in there as an everyday shortstop, which would be a, a, a significant change and probably one that would make that game more interesting. This this is even though uh, Tommy Edmonds started at shortstop in Memphis on his rehab assignment and win well, started at second base in that game. And I know you got to well, get you got to get Edmund as reps, but I'm just telling folks like, well, I think I, the team. Yeah. But I think Ben, I think that could also could have been about just showcasing uh, Edmund as well too, if they're, if they're looking to trade. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, who knows? Well, but I, yeah, I was just thinking like they, they wanted him to get game speed opportunities at shortstop, uh, perhaps in case they trade DeYoung young or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I still think the organization, uh, views win as highly as many fans do. And, uh, it would be a lot of fun to watch him like the last month or so of the season, six weeks of the season, uh, you know, get some run at shortstop in the majors and see what he can do. Mm -hmm. All All right. Moving on to our next question. Uh, Seamhead Eric asks, I know we're all focused on the Cardinals acquiring starting pitching, but how are the Cardinals going to restock their bullpen? It's been just as bad, if not worse, than the starters this year. Well, um, you know, Eric, if you're a a longtime listener, you know that um, I think that uh, bullpen arms are uh, you know, pretty fungible commodities. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of concern about this and I'll be honest with you. I think, uh, we probably saw some of those bullpen arms acquired today. So I wouldn't be surprised if names like Tekoa Roby, John King, who actually is a major league reliever, uh, Thomas Segesi, uh, and, uh, oh, no, he's the, uh, he's the position player, isn't he? Sem Roberts and Adam Kloffenstein. I'm just reading the names off. I just learned these guys. Anyway, um, let's be honest. uh, Some of these guys are probably going to end up being relief pitchers, right? Um, (laughs) So, you know, hey, there's probably some of your relievers of the future. In fact, one or more of these guys could end up being a pretty good relief pitcher, Um, you know, so that, you know, that's a place that relief pitchers come from. Um, You know, they're going to just continue to come from within the system, you know, guys who have, you know, starters or otherwise just kind of end up there. Um, you know, there'll be some, uh, you know, just, uh, I think they'll continue to just sign quantity in the off season. Um, you know, and, and you'll get some, some quantity guys they'll sign that will turn out to be, 
uh, pretty good. Um, you know, others that won't, but the ones that, that aren't, they'll just let go for, you know, really relatively little risk. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I'm not too concerned about it. I think they'll, you know, they'll get there. And, and also I will say this, the bullpen is the last thing that you need, right? Like if you, if you're putting a team together, um, you need everything else. And then once you have that, then you can go get a bullpen. Yeah. And, and the Cardinals bullpen has been bad. Um, but the rotation, like if you take out Adam Wainwright, it hasn't been terrible. It's been league average ish. And so like, and that's what it was last year when they won the division. And so, uh, you know, I completely agree with your take, Ben, that I think we've probably seen some of the upgrades for the bullpen be acquired uh, in the last several hours. And so um, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see how some of these arms might play up as well uh, mm-hmm. when they're coming out of the bullpen and how their stuff might play up and, and how the Cardinals view them as starters versus relievers. So um, I think it'll be pretty interesting. Uh, I think spring training this this coming year will be uh, maybe one of the more intriguing spring trainings uh, that we've had in a while, because I think the major league staff is probably going to get an in-person look at some of these arms for the first time. And so it'll be interesting to see what the takeaway is and how, you know, they piece together the bullpen uh, based upon that. Uh, Yeah, agreed. All right, Trev asks, what's going to happen at catcher? How bad is the buyer's remorse on Contreras? Kisner and Herrera have shown flashes with the bat. Are they shoppable or viable starters? Uh, I don't think Kisner, I mean, to me, Kisner is just Tony Cruz with a different name. So that's how I think of him. And so like maybe Kansas City might be interested in Andrew Kisner after the Cardinals cut him loose. I don't know. Uh, they signed, they got, or the Cardinals traded, excuse me, Tony Cruz to the Kansas city. Um, I think Herrera, Herrera is a, a player that I have long been interested in and he's had such a good year this year. Um, mm-hmm. To me, I thought that they would be ushering in the Yvonne Herrera, Wilson Contreras timeshare uh, this year, perhaps uh, they chose not to do that. Um, but maybe next year. And I think that could be an interesting combination because I think it has the potential to be a a pretty comfortably above average uh, hitting duo for catcher. Um, The question, of course, is on defense. Yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll I'll be honest, you know, Kisner has been one of my kind of like low key guys. I wondered if might move at the trade deadline and not for any like significant value, but just, um, you know, I, I don't think they're likely to keep him next season. And we've talked about this because, you know, due to where he's at arbitration wise, he's, he's going to see a, a, a salary jump next year that I just don't think they are going to be willing to pay for a backup catcher. So I don't think they're likely to retain him. And, um, you know, he has shown some life with the bat this year enough. So that I've, you know, felt like, you know, they might be able to get a little something, you know, in return for him. Um, and so I just, you know, almost wondered, especially with Herrera having gotten a little cup of coffee there, if, you know, they might say, you know what, we're, 
you know, we know we're going to move on from Kisner at the end of the year. Let's let's flip him for a little something or he'll be kind of an add on in another deal. And then we'll ride this season out with, you know, Contreras and Herrera. And I mean, we've still got time, so who knows? Maybe that'll happen. But um, regardless, I don't see Kisner being there next year. I see it being, you know, Contreras and Herrera. And, um, you know, Contreras, I think, is exactly what they expected with the bat. So I don't really think there's. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's complicated. Again, what you hear about the there was that one report that they were shopping Contreras, right? But again, we talked about how there's all these stories, and I'm sure they listen on everybody, right? Um, I don't know. I I don't know that there's buyers or more on Contreras. I think it's complicated with him. Um, I think he's he's exactly the player that they should have expected that he was. He's very good with the bat. I think um, when it comes to Contreras on defense, I think hashtag it's complicated. Um, <laughs> so and and it's especially complicated if you're coming off of uh, Yadier Molina, who was not just you know uh, all time superlative great. Um, on defense, but also, you know, did things in terms of managing your your staff and, and you know, leadership by all reports that you, you legitimately cannot expect any other player is ever going to step in and do. So, you know, I think with Contreras, it's both maybe a step down in defense that they're adjusting to as always, as well as maybe just some realization that like, there are just things that we're not going to replace in that catcher's position with like basically anybody. So... Yeah, and it's uh, I I think also I and we've talked about this, but I think I think that St. Louis Cardinals management did not fully appreciate how good Yadier Molina was, and I think that they were kind of they bristled at Contreras, who you know, and there have been a lot of good. Uh, interviews with people like Joe Madden, folks who covered the Cubs, who are just like kind of dumbfounded at how the St. Louis Cardinals responded to this with Ollie Marmol and John Mosellock and all that. And so I, I really believe that they, they did not fully appreciate Yadier Molina until he was gone. And they also didn't, fully understand what they were trying to replace or how to replace it. And I think they did a terrible job of onboarding Wilson Contreras. And frankly, someone should probably be fired for it. Um, whether it's Ollie Marmal, who would be my choice. Um, I mean, a- amongst other things, cause he's right. so incompetent and in over his head and terrible. So um, I, I think there is buyer's remorse, especially from Ollie Marmal. Cause I think he's probably feeling a hot seat because it's kind of, pulled the curtain back on how he is not really qualified or competent as a major league manager. So um, I think that's probably Ali Marmol's biggest regret is it's shown how incompetent he is at just the basic, uh, you know, job duty of bringing on a new starting catcher. Like they just completely fumbled the ball on that. And that is completely unacceptable in my opinion. Well, yeah. And I think what we're getting at here is it's not that if it's buyer's remorse, it's not that Contreras is not what exactly what Contreras was always going to be. It's that maybe they didn't fully think through what that, what bringing that player in was going to mean for the rest of this team. And that dovetails with this next question, which which you're about to ask me, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) 
um so uh well with the uh with the prospect sashin parik asks uh, because of Arenado and to some extent Goldie, key prospects like Gore, Gorman and Jordan Walker are off their positions and uh, they have been criticized for their defense. It seems like more evidence of roster mismanagement. Even our cheap quad A hitter types, Lucan Baker, Juan Yepes, Moises Gomez, etc., are being wasted by this current roster construction. Does the front office deserve blame? Yeah, you see what I mean? I think these two questions kind of dovetail yes. together. And and I do think it, it and I think the answer is yes, because I think what I see here is I think that there's been a tendency to not take bold action uh, with some of these players and just kind of, you know, just really make a decision and say, we're going with this guy or we're going with this position or, you know, that kind of thing. And there's just certain players that have kind of, you know, floated in a certain um, amount of uncertainty, you know, for, for too long. And um, it's, and it's just led to some of these problems. Now, now that's not always the case. And I think some people steer too hard in the other direction. There's nothing wrong with having some surplus of players, you know, um, there's nothing, you know, there, there's, there is some value in that, but, um, but yeah, there, there are some of these situations. And I think, you know, the Gorman and Jordan Walker, um, is certainly one you can point to, you know, there's some of these are some of these log jams that you're seeing at the major league level now are ones that you, you know, you could have seen coming for, you know, for some time. Right. And let's also, you know, take stock of the fact that, you know, we're at the trade deadline here in 2023, talking about kind of some of this maybe outfield surplus potentially needing to be moved, knowing that the organization is possibly, you know, looking for offers on uh, Carlson or on O'Neill, right, to possibly clear up some of that. Those were two of the guys that they decided to keep when they uh you know got rid of a rosarina <laughs> right um yes you know uh and and uh so you know this has been going on for a long time just some of this uh um and so yes i i, I think that's that's true and, and i just think that they just haven't always taken kind of you know some bold action and that's where i would like to see them you know even if it is say you know trade uh Brendan Donovan, which I don't want him to do. I love Brendan Donovan. I don't want that to be a move they make. But just as a for example, Brendan Donovan's a guy that they don't have a spot for right now, right? And so if they just feel like we don't have a spot for him, and if they feel like we're really committed to Nolan Gorman at second base, and we're really committed to kind of other guys in these other spots, and we feel like we can get significant value in a trade for Brendan Donovan, I would rather see them take that bold action rather than kind of hold and hold and hold, which it seems like has been the thing that they do. Now, the one part of this question I would just slightly push back on, I think we gotta stop talking about Luke and Baker and Juan Yepes and Moises Gomez. I just don't think these are major league players. Like, I think these are guys who we know because we're Cardinals fans and we're, we're really fans of. Moises Gomez is the only one who hasn't gotten much of a shot, who I think we can maybe hold out a little bit of hope for, but I think we gotta let the, the Juan Yepes uh, hope go like these are just these are just guys that i don't really see you know being any kind of significant um you know major league players so i don't i don't look at those guys being down there in triple a and, and see any kind of organizational mismanagement i just look at those guys and i see those are the kind of guys that are triple a players yeah and we 
live in a triple A town and we see a lot of triple A games and there are a whole lot of guys who do a good job hitting for power in triple A who never do anything in the majors, maybe do something in Japan or Korea. And I think it's important that we kind of recognize that reality where hitting well in triple A doesn't mean that you're going to hit well in the majors. And that doesn't mean that you're not, that you don't deserve an opportunity or what have you, but you know, and we've talked about like the Cardinals should consider trading Paul Goldschmidt, right? First baseman, MVP first baseman. But Ben, when we talked about that, who did we think they should put at first base if they did trade Paul Goldschmidt? Was it Luke and Baker or Moises Gomez? No, it was uh, Jordan Walker uh, or yeah, uh, Nolan or, Gorman. <laughs> right. Like, so <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things. They're, they're nice players. They're having a good uh, season or seasons in AAA and they have good, uh, batted ball profiles, but it's kind of one of those things where, you know, they don't really have a position on defense other than first base. And if they don't hit for a lot of power, they're just not going to be good players. And so I, I think at, at the major league level. And so I think that we need to recognize that there's a big difference between like the Randy Arozarena situation versus the Lucan Baker or Moises Gomez situations. And so uh, I, I, I think it's important to put it kind of in that broader context of like Randy Arozarena is a good outfielder <laughs> and mm-hmm. brings value in multiple ways. And these players are bat first players who really have to hit exceptionally well at the major league level to be a viable big leaguer. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think we've all, we're all gun shy because of the Rosa arena situation, but I think we're looking at more like a, a Ron Hell Ravello types here is kind of what yeah. we're, what we're seeing. So, um, all right. Um, all right. Uh, Drizzy Druster asks, even if DeYoung isn't traded by the deadline should win be up with the Cardinals getting a taste of the MLB for next season. 100%. Yes, he should. I don't even know if I would wait for September. If, yeah. if you're looking to 2024 and beyond, you have to get Mason win up and, and get him some playing time every day at shortstop in the major leagues. Yeah. And I mean, really it's because the rest of this season is all about next season. And it's the same reason that if Ivan Herrera is going to be your backup next year, you probably need him up there too, because frankly, you need to confirm that, right? Because if you bring, if you bring Mason Wynn up and it's like, oh no, he strikes out 40% of the time when he faces major league pitching, that becomes a, a different roster construction situation for you next year because you say, you know what, maybe he needs a little more time in AAA. Um, and, or same with Ivan Herrera. It's like, oh, no, he's really not ready to be that guy. You have the chance to kind of give him a little test drive and make sure they're that guy. So 100% you do that. Connor Wehrman asks, I was wondering your thoughts on the Cardinals draft choices this year as it pertained to pitching. For all the talk of changing organizational pitching philosophy, there sure seemed to be a lot of 91 mile per hour command guys. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, I I couldn't agree more. And 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 now again, like I'm really not a draft guy, so like I'm not a super like prospect guy, and that goes like even more so for like these like draft guys. So I really I can't get into any specifics. I really just like as the names come off the board, you know, I go and I look at the profiles. But I've been saying this for the last few years, and I just don't get it, Ben. I absolutely don't get it because the thing about the 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 thing about this like organizational philosophy about going after these 91 mile per hour command guys like I, I, okay i understand it just because they're cheap right and i understand that they're cheap in the free agent pitching market because uh the free agent pitching market is expensive and those guys get injured a lot so like i you know what i mean like i i, I kind of get it there you know i kind of get not signing jacob de because when you sign jacob de you pay jacob de a lot of money to not pitch so like if the if you know the the organization said look we're not gonna spend big on free agent um you know really elite stuff strikeout pitchers because that's you know just peak peak market stuff we're not going to spend at that level on the free agent side like i kind of get that but to me then that puts even more of a necessity on you really go after that in the draft because that's where you can get those guys and you can get that elite stuff and potentially develop it and then you've got six years of it at cost control. So like to me if you're if you're going to take it off the table as guys you go after in free agency, like I would be drafting, you know, every like, you know, 6 foot 6 Texas high school kid that's like throwing, you know, that's like sitting 98 and can't find the plate, right? Like that's what I would be doing and just and and then also of course, you know, figuring out my development situation and figuring out what I can do to like hopefully make the most out of these guys. But um I, to me you you would you would have to go after stuff there and I yeah, you don't see him doing that. I mean, and again, this draft I'm not as familiar with, but like Jerpy last year just blows my mind. I just I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you went after like you know, you, you went junk baller number one. Like, I just don't, it, it, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's it's the Lance Lynn model, right? Like, we're going we're gonna to coach him up a few ticks. And because they have an, an array of pitches that and pitchability, they're going to be a viable starter. The problem is they haven't been able to do this for years with any yeah. sort of success. And so that's the real problem to me in the development yeah. pipeline is right. they're continuing to draft these guys with a certain profile, but at the end of the line, when these guys get to the majors, if they get to the majors, yeah, they're not pitching the way that, you know, some of these more athletic or uh, college type pitchers that they drafted, you know, the Lance Lynn's, the Joe Kelly's, the, Trevor Rosenthal's the well Carlos Martinez was an international signing so he doesn't count but um but they 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 kind of had this profile where they were going for athleticism they were looking at pitchability and then they were able they thought that they could help coach up those players to achieve a tick or two of velocity and if that is still their recipe something is horribly wrong because they aren't getting you know, when they pull those pitchers out of the oven and stick them in the majors, they aren't getting what they thought they were getting uh, when they chose them. Yeah, I, I would like to know what they think they can get out of their development system, because like I don't 
I don't see anything consistent come from players like once they've come through the development system and like I don't even know what their expectation is. It's certainly not velocity. You definitely don't see guys add velocity, but I don't even really see anything tangible come through. I mean, you know, Zach Thompson, the it was, you know, when they drafted Zach Thompson, the, the talk of among him was like this is like the most polished college pitcher, right? Yeah. He was the guy in that draft that everybody was saying like, you know, oh geez, this guy could actually probably go pitch in the majors right now. Like he's just he's that polished right and he is he has advanced zero since then you know and i mean it's it's it speaks to basically kind of where he was at when he came in i i'm, I'm exaggerating it, it would be unfair to say that and I'm, I'm not giving credit to him but but you know it's it's like it, it's just hard to identify like where these guys ad advance really it seems like so Anyway, yeah, we, we could go on for a long time about just the lack of, you know, development and clarity. And it's scary. You know, and to me, it's scary after watching, you know, the Cubs dismantle the Cardinals over two series. And, you know, the Cubs are, you know, every game bringing in, you know, guys in the sixth and seventh inning, you know, throwing 100 that they have that have come through their kind of newly reconstituted, you know, pitching development system. You can kind of see what what happens when you can actually start start doing that. So um, the Cardinals desperately need to figure that out. Oh, 100 percent. Uh, all right. So Kevin Zach asks, why do the Cardinals hate players with personality? <laughs> Have you met John Moselock? <laughs> um, I, I think that there is a very kind of a I, I think, number one, Tony La Russa does it. it to me, it goes back to like Tony La Russa. I don't think he really liked players with personality, but like if you could play, he would just let you be you. But then you had Matheny, who's who has the charisma of a stick of butter, and uh, and he seemed to have a person he liked, and those people tended to be white and boring, like him, and and the front office seems to take take that viewpoint as well and so it's something where i don't know if they feel like their people their fans want paul goldschmidt you know what i mean like just the most boring just like i if i saw paul goldschmidt like somewhere in a social setting i would never go talk to him and it's not because I would want to respect him because he's famous and I don't want to bother him. It's because I think Paul Goldschmidt would be one of the most boring people to ever have a conversation with in the history of the world. And I don't care what he has to say on anything, yeah. you know? And so they seem to have accepted this very retrograde view of what like a Midwest fan base wants. And they seem to bristle at players who have charisma and personality. And hopefully Mason Wynn just comes and shatters all that because well, I feel like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just off base. Like Cardinals yeah. fans love Dizzy Dean, right? They love yeah. Bob Gibson. They love Ozzie Smith. Yeah. Do you know what those guys are? They, they're not boring, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they're pretty charismatic. And so yeah. like the whole thing is pretty weird to me. Yeah. And, and that's where, like, I, I'll be honest, like, I would push back a little bit on this question. I definitely, I do get it. And I, and Ben, I agree with everything you said, and, and certainly about the kind of personalities of those, those last couple managers, and definitely compared to say, like Whitey Herzog, who certainly did seem to maybe, who just has a bigger personality himself, and probably yes. welcomed that a little bit more. So I, I, like, agree with you on all of that. That said, I think it's always a challenge when you start to kind of, this is like when people start to make 
generalizations about fan bases and look, we all do it, but like, come on, it's not, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's more complicated than that. So as soon as I read this, I was like, okay, I see what you're getting at. And yeah, like, you know, Goldschmidt and Arenado are like pretty dull, but come on, Mason Wynn is just, is, is absolute flash. Right. And, you know, so you you Mason Wynn is a four horseman, right? Like he's, he's like styling and profiling. Yeah. Like just just oozing charisma. Well, and the other thing is, like, let's talk about the general population we're talking about here. Uh, base <laughs> bros. OK, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you know how many like interesting base bros there are? Like, have you ever, you know, uh, like I coached youth, ba- youth baseball. I've hung out with like baseball folks like it's, uh, you know, it's it tends towards the dull. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like it's not it's it's just it's kind of a culture that leans that way a little bit. So. Um, yeah. Um, you know, that said, it would be nice if they did a little more. It would be nice if it, you know, but, you know, I think they've started to do a little more to embrace like Newt Bar, for example. You know, it'd be nice yeah. if they push that even more. You know, it's like, hey, here's a guy who just, you know, kind of oozes charisma. Like, let's really do that. But, you know, again, you know, think about what a big, uh, you know, what a what a larger than life figure Yachty was here for all of those years, you know. Yes. And, you know, Yachty was, was by no means a... Uh, you know, a, a wallflower of a character. You know, Yachty was, you know, Yachty is, you know, larger than life. So, yes, I mean, I mean, yeah, Yachty, Yachty are, yeah like the the neck tattoos and yeah. he was also insane. Right. Well, right. But yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and not just in St. Louis, in any any baseball fan in, in the country knows Yachty as Yachty. I mean, you know, yes. like he, yes. he, you know. Uh, so, so, you know, anyway, there's, there's been characters as well, but I agree. I wish there were more, I would just love the, you know, it's, it's an entertainment business. I would love to see more entertainment. The, the other thing I would say, um, in this respect is that with social media, I think there's an incentive for players to not be interesting, you know, like, and so I think it's the Crash Davis interview, right? But it's writ large on social media. And so I think that there's much more of an incentive, especially when you're breaking into the majors to not be interesting. Yeah. And then, and, and you know what, Yadier Molina probably fits into that. Like he kind of grew into himself as he matured as a ball player. And so I think there's, that's even more pronounced today where so much of what you do is under the microscope. Well, and we know that there is kind of a clubhouse culture that's kind of a veteran culture and kind of a, you know, know your place and all that kind of stuff there too. That certainly plays into that as well. So Greg Maturin asks, which stats are your favorites? What do they measure? What is bad, average, good, and great for those stats? Oh man, how long do you have, Greg? Um, we could go a while here. <laughs> we could um, we could do an episode. <laughs> on this. Yeah, you know, I guess um, for me, um, I like what I try to do is I just I really try to understand what every statistic like really measures and what it doesn't measure. And then anytime I'm trying to like look at or understand or tell a story about something, um, I I try to find what's the statistic that's going to do that best. So um, I guess just a couple examples for for me. So I'll kind of, I'm thinking on the offensive side, for example. So like wins above replacement, right? Wins above replacement 
is it, it encompasses some great things about it, right? It encompasses kind of everything that the player does. So offensive value, defensive value, base running value. So it's fantastic for that. So it really shows like the total value contribution that a player puts forward. That said, it is also a counting stat. It accumulates based on the time that the player is playing. So you always have to keep that in mind. So like if a if a player is injured or they're just not in the lineup, they're a part-time player or things like that, they don't get as many plate appearances, that kind of affects that too. So if you're comparing two players or time periods, that's kind of something you have to keep in mind as well as, you know, related to like wins above replacement. You know, if you're looking at things like, um, uh, like hit, uh, just general overall hit, uh, hitting, for example, you know, of course, you know, batting average we know is not real great. On base percentage tells you a little something more. Slugging tells you a little something more. We always look at weighted runs created plus, and baseball reference uses OPS plus, which is essentially the same thing. That's on a scale where 100 is average, and over as you go over 100, it's, you know, every percentile is, you know, 1% better or below is like 1% worse. So that's kind of the one that we always go to there. But, you know, Ben, one thing I always have to keep myself in mind there is, you know, while that is set to like league average, it's not position adjusted. So, yeah. um, so that's one where, again, if I look at that and I look at, um, uh, you know, if I'm looking at a, a shortstop that's uh, at 100 versus I'm looking at a first baseman that's at 100, that's telling me a little bit of a different story, you know, about that player's, um, uh, you know, kind of offensive uh, uh, value. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, and I don't know if Ben, if you want to hit on a couple on the pitching side, but, but that to me, it's just, it's, it's the more you understand and you kind of keep those things in mind as you're telling your story that that's what I try to do. Um, I'll, my, my favorite offensive stat is weighted on base average. Uh, 400 is very good. It, it takes into account, uh, the value of each outcome of a batter. So it looks at walks, it looks at strikeouts, singles, doubles, triples, all of those things. Um, and then it gives the actual run value to them. Whereas like slugging percentage is just an arbitrary, like a home run is four times as valuable as a single. And that's a little bit distorted. Um, and then OPS because of slugging tends to undervalue getting on base a little bit. And so I like weighted on base average and uh, Fangrass has some very good stuff on that, that, that you can read up on um, for pitching. It has become with the stat cast era, pitching has become just such a, a, a new frontier that it's, it's difficult to, um, you know, really boil it down to one thing because it's a story and each pitcher is so different as ben said it's a story and each pitcher is so different you really have to dive in to get a, a firm grasp on it now that being said if you're looking for something quick and dirty like k percentage minus uh base on balls percentage is a, a very good indicator you know if you look at the leaderboard for that and where a pitcher ranks in that and Fangraphs has it that's a very good just top of the line indicator of how good that pitcher is. And so um, I, I tend to sometimes cheat with that, not cheat, but just kind of that's a good starting point for me for perspective of how someone fits in to the league as a whole. Um, but when you're getting, you know, 
now we have spin rate, you know, <laughs> like, mm, yeah. and it's just, it's crazy to think about that. And then we also have so much more information about quality of contact against a pitcher. And so I've, I still use the fielding independent stats. Um, but, you know, I think that we all now recognize and agree that quality of contact is something that a pitcher has, has perhaps more control over than was posited when the fielding independent stats uh, were invented. And so it's trying to figure out what that relationship is, I think is, is something that we're all still struggling with. Uh, and I shouldn't even say struggle, I should say wrestling with, because it's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting uh, area to delve into that you can spend a lot of time on and, and is very interesting. And all of the new metrics uh, really have opened my eyes to pitching in a way uh, that I, frankly, I, I didn't think would ever happen. And yeah. so it's, it's really interesting. Like baseball savant's yeah. just amazing. Well, and that's what I was just actually going to say is that that's the, the other frontier really is is baseball savant and baseball savant is pretty much the the place to go for your your stat cast based metrics. And that's kind of a, a whole other world. And the, the great thing about those is it's really measuring kind of a, a lot of like raw skill type things. So yeah. on the offensive side, it's a lot of things related to like, you know, exit velocities and those kind of things. And you'll see a lot of these X stats there. So like Ben mentioned weighted on base, it has X weighted on base and that's basically calculating something like a weighted on base average but just based on the, the the contact itself so rather than like the result of of where the ball was hit it's saying like well a ball that's hit at that speed and that angle we, you know we know that it, it typically results in this and some of those um those uh, you know x stats actually are end up being much more predictive right because it just yeah. takes out some of that dumb luck which we all know about right guy smokes a line drive right at a fielder and of course over the course of a season or whatnot those things eventually kind of you know even out but um but you know there's there's more noise in there earlier on um and so that stuff's great to see on baseball savant and and the, the defensive statistics i think in particular on baseball savant are really i think a lot more um, reliable than the old defensive statistics ever yeah. were because they're literally measuring guy where guys are their actual jump to balls the speed they're throwing yeah. these balls at all that stuff and they've added arm uh so yeah. they've added throwing uh throwing metrics uh to the defensive statistics here within the last few weeks and so it's it's very good and yeah. and the the way that i describe it to folks is there's a degree of separation between what the player did and the result in the box score. You know, you, you can go 0 for 3 and hit three 110-mile-an-hour line drives right at the third baseman, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that means that you have the skill to hit 110-mile-an-hour line drives, which means yeah. even though you went 0 for 3, the odds are you're probably going to have some 3 for 3 days in mm -hmm. the future, right? And so you know, weighted on base average or batting average or slugging, those are measuring what happened in terms of the outcome. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the baseball savant metrics are measuring directly what the player did. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little less noise in that than some of the more traditional stats. 
Yeah. And I've said before, one of the things I love about Baseball Savant, one of their main visualizations, everything's a slider, everything's on a zero to 99 scale. So basically it looks like every video game you've ever played, but it also just makes yeah. it really great. Like it's, it's really easy to look at. So like I'm actually on Lars Newtbar's page right now and Lars Newtbar is just great across the board. You know, his exit velocities, his X stats, his defensive stuff. So he looks like a great player on a video game, right? All these sliders are like moved way over to the right hand side. If you go look at, uh, you know, I, honestly, I'm not going to, I'm just gonna pick on Dylan Carlson, but Dylan Carlson is not as good. And you go look at his, his physical stuff, you know, his, his numbers, they're, they're, you know, they're not as impressive and you'll kind of see, okay, this is a big reason why the Cardinals are maybe looking at moving on from Dylan Carlson, whereas they're more like, okay, Newt Bar is not a guy we're going to move on for, uh, move on from. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's great for that as well. But I guess just to kind of bring things back to where we started from, I think any of these stats, they're always storytelling that you're doing. And so I would just say always approach it with that degree of humility too. And I hope that I do that. I know I'm sure I've been a jerk to people online and on Twitter before and, and that Viva Albertos and things like that. But, um, you know, I think you just always want to do your best to tell the story that you, the best you can. And, um, you know, uh, be open-minded because stats will change or you'll learn and there might be a better way to tell that story or somebody might, you know, come at you and, and tell you. I mean, certainly, Ben, there's times where I've kind of had a take on a player or something and I've sort of looked, looked at statistically and said, oh, here, I think this is the story of this player. And then you've come at me with basically just another set of statistics that you've looked at instead. And I've been like, no, you know what, Ben's right. Like Ben's telling that story, you know, better than I am. So, um, you know, I think just if you're always kind of a approach it with that open-mindedness and that degree of humility and, and realize it's, it's really all just storytelling. Um, you know, you'll, you'll do all right. Oh yeah, I totally agree. And you know, the other thing to keep in mind is some of those baseball savant stuff, they're averages. And so an average has a little bit of separation from what happened. And there's more data showing like, you know, maybe the top 20% of what a player does is most indicative of what their skill is. And the fun thing about Baseball Savant is you can download everything off of it. So people have done that and they've created their own databases. And you can just, you can really, you can really go down the rabbit hole on this stuff uh, if you're so inclined. And, and so uh, there are a lot of interesting stuff. And I, and I should say, I did not choose top 20% arbitrarily. You know, John Moselock has said the St. Louis Cardinals look at that top 20% figure uh, for their hitters. And so it's, it's just interesting. There are lots of ways that you can chop up how a player has done what he's done. And it's up to you to decide you know, to go through and figure out what you feel is the most accurate representation of a player's skill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you to everybody who um, sent in questions. Um, always appreciate that. And um, Ben, I think that's bringing us to the end. And, uh, you know, normally we'd say this is what we're looking for, but I think we know over the next couple of days, we're just going to be um, looking to see uh, what, what other moves are, uh, are going to be made. Yeah. Where, where does Jack Flaherty wind up and will they trade Paul DeYoung? Like those are the two big ones, right? <laughs> those are, those are. Uh, and our next off day is a week from today on August 7th. But, um, you know, um, pending these kind of trades and especially if we get some really, you know, big changes, I think we, uh, you know, we may drop a, a, a special episode um, into the feed as well. So keep an eye out for that. Um, 
Ben, anything else before we wrap things up? Uh, no, I, I thought today was exciting. The Cardinals beat the Cubs, and then we had a whole bunch of trades uh, announced right before the end of the game. So it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, uh, I hope folks have enjoyed it as well. And hopefully the next couple months of the season give us an idea of what we can expect for next year. Absolutely. So anyway, thanks as always for listening to us. We'll be back with you on the next Cardinals off day or maybe even sooner. Talk to you then. Go Cardinals!